Hello. Welcome to what actually for me is an impromptu, you talking with Greg, with one of my favorite people, Benita Roy, uh, who wrote me. Uh, I think we're going to talk about some stuff that came up in Transcendental Naturalism and get her take, which is grounded in a deep and strong naturalism, I know. Uh, Benita, hey, how are you? Yeah, great. You know, I was, I was on a, uh, a video conversation with Brendan Graham Dempsey, mm-hmm. both of whom I, you know, I met this summer, you and he, and uh, he called me a fierce naturalist. Okay. He said, you have a fierce naturalism. Uh, let's, let's do it. Let's, let's explore your so fierce let's naturalism. Let's do it. Okay. <laughs> so I did watch the Transcendent Naturalism videos. I know there's another one coming out, at least with Jim and Rita. And then I think there's another one with Brett or something. Yeah. Then, well, Brendan Graham Dempsey comes and then Brett and then uh, Jordan okay. Paul and a bunch of other people. We're going to, so this, this, this is an ongoing unfolding. Okay. So I'm just in the middle of that series. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say that, that I think what we're going to talk about parallels it, okay. but it's not, it's not going to fit inside that series okay. so much from the get go. But it did help me frame kind of what I want to talk to you about, because you and I, you know, we've had some cool conversations, but there's always a slippery slope, a non-con, there's some non-conversation that's wanting to happen that hasn't happened. Okay. Let's have the non-conversation. Yeah. Let's see if we can reveal this. Okay. Okay. So I wrote down 10 things just to frame um, what I think can establish the grounds for us to have to uh, build on our conversation. Okay. okay. So number one, <clears throat> in watching the Transcendent Naturalism series, and also this was confusing to me in the Consilience Conference that you gave, is that, um, so you and John are arguing against scientific reductionism. That's that's clear. That's clear. Okay. And so, so there's scientific reductionism, there's transcendent naturalism, now, I'm not between transcendent naturalism and scientific reductionism. I'm somewhere else. Okay. I'm over further. Mm-hmm. So this is a little bit of a sliding slope because when I say science, I'm not talking about moving that way. Okay. I'm talking about moving beyond, let's say, okay. uh, what uh, what I understand mm-hmm. is transcendent naturalism. So you could just think Michael Levin's work or yeah, uh, neurophenomenologists. That. These are yep. scientists, sure. but they're not reductionists, okay? Yep. So anytime I, I use that, it shouldn't be like I'm trying to bridge Perfect. that. Perfect. Good for us to know. Yeah. And of course, yeah, I think... Yeah, I mean, you know, I if you're a material, heard. we can just go with who the hell's a material reductive materialist mechanical person anyway. <laughs> well, yeah, if you're an academic, you probably run yeah. into them more. You than do run into them. Yeah, okay. Patient. All right. So I hear you. Yeah. So I think we all know this. I think most of the 10 things I'm going to say we know, but it'll help us structure like, what are we talking about Perfect. here? Okay. I appreciate it. Um, okay. So now I'm going to say there's this thing that was introduced by the object-oriented ontologist. And Graham Harmon said there is a phenomenon of reducing upwards, which he called overmining. Uh So we don't want to reduce downwards, scientific reductionism, but I'm going to perhaps sometimes call... This is overmining or right. reducing up upwards. Okay. Okay. So just keep that in mind. I don't cool. have a specific example, but this this kind of this this range. Okay. 
Are you framing that as a problem when you do that? Or are you framing that as that's actually valuable to do that? No, I missing her. It, that. It, okay. It's the same. It's, it's the, the same kind of problem. It's, it's just reducing upward. Okay. Exactly. Gotcha. Exactly. I understand. Anyways, that's what Grant Harmon means by it. That's okay. what I, I will mean by it. If, gotcha. if that comes in. Okay. Okay. Number two. <laughs> um, Should so, I be taking notes here? <laughs> no, you want to know the thing is, I was going to have a conversation with you. And what happens is I, I sit down at night before uh, something that's important to me like this. And I just set an intention. Like I presence you. I don't overthink anything. Mm -hmm. And I woke up and I had to write these down. Like okay. I call them my elves. Actually, I learned this in, in college that yeah. most of the work done is done by my unconscious mind. Okay. Perfect. Well, I'm glad I was hanging out with your unconscious elves. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So number two, uh, like Wilbur now, I don't mean this as a pejorative. Mm -hmm. I'm going to mean this as Roy Bashgar said to Wilbur. You have you have a taxonomy. So the tree of knowledge is yep. a taxonomy. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then the way your taxonomy works is you have the levels emerge. Okay. Now okay. I'm going to say um, that this is in my arena, which is on this side, highly problematic. Okay. Okay. Now I understand it and I think it works in the middle, but I'm gonna try to argue that we could do something really cool, uh, cooler. All right, okay. so for me, emergence is like blah, 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 and then a miracle happens. Here it is, now we're here, blah, 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 and then a miracle happens, okay. blah, 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 and then a miracle happens. You might as well invoke the hand of God. Okay, so um, now here's the thing. Language may never be able to articulate the finely grained continuity of matter and life. Uh -huh. So like we say, is a virus alive or not? Well, you know, this is a language problem, yep. not an ontological problem. So I understand that. Um, but I'm going to argue that um, we can understand the deep continuity of your stack um, without appeal to emergence as a transcendental or a transcendent phenomenon. Hmm. In other words, the level does not transcend in the same sense that, and this is when we will figure out what you mean by transcend and what I mean, it might be the same thing. Okay. Okay. Right. Obviously, so, you know, I don't believe in magic. Right. I understand that. Okay. But you don't really can't really explain why the levels emerge. You can only say they're emergent phenomenon. This is Bashkar. Right, we'll, we'll dialogue about this. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right, okay. Let's go. So let's go. yeah, I'll set it out, and then then we'll have to well, talk yeah go about, for it, and then we'll, right. Things. So let's okay. uh, I'll mark that in my head. <laughs> I think I think our intuition of how it works is closer than the way we language how it works. So okay. Uh, okay. So, I mean, I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm trying to frame you. Well, right. Bonnie, come on. We're, we're, can we acknowledge that we like, you know, like each other and respect love, each other? And we're, love oh, would be the better word. Love okay. would be the better word. Then, especially we hung out a cosmoerotic humanism. Exactly. Bodies <laughs> in space. That's what happens. So there it okay. is. Okay. So right. We're in good shape. Okay. So, so actually, you know, to a lesser or greater extent, um, these are yellow flags that I hear in transcendental naturalism, but they may or may not fit. Okay, now there's this thing about evolution for development, which I've been 
uh, try harping on for over 20 years. It was uh, also Wilbur's Achilles heel that he didn't understand the difference between evolution and development. And we need to avoid these mistakes. So for example, development is stage-like because you gotta be two feet tall before you're three feet tall. Okay. You have to be able to use abstractions before you can use systems of abstractions. This yeah. is almost trivial, it's tautological, right? So stage theory, development is stage-like is stage -like because of this factor. Okay. And in development, the next higher forms build on the previous higher forms. Okay. This is not true in evolution. Okay. Totally. Okay. Right. right. We're so true. We right. So, so we're not, are you okay with just a like a you know models a hierarchical complexity basic structure of stack? Uh, if we think about, yeah, uh, we should. You should listen to my conversation with Brendan. Okay. Uh, well, then what? That, I, that, yeah. I, yeah. I just mean like that's obviously an example of sort of competency stacking, right? Exactly. Okay. But it's okay. almost trivial. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We're, we're, we're making a simplistic statement about the necessity is, of that kind of development. But okay. evolution isn't like this. Of course, obviously. Evolution so your can level, get rid of shit. So your levels can't work like that because your levels are evo evolutionary. They're not developmental. A human species does not develop from the animal mind. Well, okay. Well, hold on. Uh, well, that, okay. No, well, but this, well, this, is, this important. is an important point. Yeah, it, this is important. And it depends on what the reference is. But yeah, okay. Exactly. But what, they evolve, they don't develop. I, I certainly don't, wouldn't say, oh, we evolved from apes. We are apes. Okay. I, right. I mean, we are have, organisms. Okay. I'm not, I'm not. Right, right. But I mean, you have to, you have to, we have to just avoid thinking of the levels as developing from each other. You're, you and I are actually close close to this. Okay. Uh, I Now, you would say, yeah, okay. Yeah, it's not, you see, this is why I don't think your levels are transcendent, because you just said it. We I don't think their levels are transcendent. I don't right. think that that's not the, that, we're not applying, it's transcendent naturalism. Naturalism is the extended naturalism that I'm mapping on the levels. And then okay. we're relating to them in a transcendent way, potentially, which is basically a mythos for us to collectively activate okay. as a part right. the world. So we could do without the mythos. Okay. Well, okay. Anyway. Now, what I do <laughs> think, and I, and I think we have to be careful that um, we don't say evolution always creates more complexity. Definitely doesn't. Okay. But I think we might say it has something to do with degrees of freedom, compound selves and stuff like that. Because sometimes you get more degrees of freedom when something that's less complex. Right. Well, that's an interesting set of relations. Okay. So we'll just park that in. That's in the evolution versus development okay. uh, 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 comment. Okay. Now, one of the things that we have to be careful, and you can correct me if I'm wrong in this, because I'm trying to understand what is the metaphysics underneath your conversation. Okay. Um, and that is, there seems to be um, an assumption or a fear or a, um, something, resistance, that when you look at, so you have certain causal properties the different levels of the stack. And it seems to me that there's a fear that once you get to like the body or the natural world, that the only causal properties down there are Newtonian. Okay, well, 
obviously beneath that they're quantum so uh so right. uh, so but, what uh, i'm saying is that the new no new science of life goes from life to you know human life to animal life like cocky science or or Borella's uh um you know neurophenomenology um, neurophenomenology we make going down you can michael levin says it this way i can explain your i can explain your consciousness through a mechanism but that doesn't mean i understand the mechanism it's not reductive so when we move down and we look at templates as mm -hmm. mechanisms we're not saying that they, 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 we're not, see, this is the hard part in my work, because I tell people you're just nature. You're just a certain kind of nature, but they're so used to assuming nature obeys the laws of Newtonian physics that, that that's a ridiculous thing to say, that, a that your human body is nature. I mean, physicians don't understand the human body because it doesn't obey the laws of Newtonian physics. Why is the why is the psychologist and the doctor's relationship with the patient matter? Because it's not reductive. And this is something I think we have to be very careful that no new scientists, yeah, maybe the old fashioned ones, think that the move from the human to the animal to the organism means you're becoming more and more causally uh, determined in the way Newtonian is. This is the revolution in science. You don't have to go there. Okay. And so, so that we have to watch out. So in my work, I call them, um, they're, you're, each level has different complex potential states. Okay. 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 But they're not, and none of those complex potential states are linear causality in a Newtonian billiard ball world. So we don't have to worry about that. And then we don't have to make such a big leap to the quantum level to say there's degrees of freedom all the way down. So this is an important part that that we could you know we could talk about it okay. later. Okay. Now I want to give you my definition of science. I think it might be helpful. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So <clears throat> my definition of science is that science is a set of protocols to take actions that achieve results predicted by the theory. Okay. okay. So this is Latour's actor network theory. Yep. You have to remember mm -hmm. that, that um, and obviously um, when you take those actions, depending, so like, for example, here's science. Water boils at 260 degrees. I forget what it boils at. <laughs> okay, Fahrenheit. Yes, but if I look closer, sometimes it doesn't. Oh, while water boils with a certain salinity at blah, 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 blah. Oh, but it doesn't. Water boils with a certain salinity right. at a certain barometric pressure. Right. So the actions that you have to control get larger and larger when you look closer and closer. So by the time you're looking at the Higgs boson, the protocols are larger than the thing. Okay, The Large Hadron Collider and whatnot. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So science is a set of protocols to make to take actions that achieve results predicted by the theory. End, stop, full stop. That's all science is. It's not reductive, it's not woo. Okay. However, then we make inferences from those actions that achieve results. And okay. this is where we get into trouble because we can infer that water boils at 260 degrees uh, and that's a, a essence, essence of water, okay? And this is what we where science gets in trouble. 
because of these inferences. So we infer causal properties and blah, 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 blah. Okay. So, yep. all right. I think that's helpful. We may get to it. I will send you these. This is right. I'm trying to take mental notes. No, 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 no. So you don't have to watch this stupid thing. Um, okay. So um, now we're going to look at, that's my definition of science. Now we're going to say, well, we have these two sciences, neurophenomenology, maybe for e cognitive science. And then we just want to uh, encourage us to think of that science as this same thing, a set of protocols to make actions that achieve results predicted by theory. And for me, I, um, I'm just gonna throw these words out. This is what we want to talk about. Um, but um, <clears throat> Varela saw a future um, where third person science and first person science would prove to be what he called dynamically isomorphic. Yep or they have structural homology, whether you're looking at the processes of them or the things. And this I think is extremely important to achieve on this side of transcendent naturalism. Okay. Okay, lovely. Um, now I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the things I find <clears throat> in following those tenets. I mean, okay. this sounds like a, I follow the tenants and then I find this, this is 30 years of work. Okay. So like I just turned it, turned it into a little story. Here are the breadcrumbs. Okay. At, yeah, at, well, at least, at least it's a digestible little story that we're actually articulating. So that's yeah, good. Enter the breadcrumbs. You too will see what I see. Okay. <laughs> okay. So let's start with the animal body. Uh, <clears throat> um, um, okay. So you have animal Animal mind and then mind one, right? For humans, is that is that your tip? Uh, no, uh, no, animal mind is mind one. Right, animal okay, the mindedness, mind, yeah. minded animal and mindedness okay. is okay. you know, and we're at full mind now. There's a, obviously a massive continuity. We can do for jellyfish and sponges, and then yeah, we go yeah, to planaria just, worms. But then we just, do complex active bodies and brains. You get that in Cambrian right, explosion, right. and I call that mindedness. So let's just work between the animal mind and the human mind Perfect. as Thank an example. You. Okay. Broadly, like the way we conceive of it, casual conversation. And okay. then yes, up and down the stack gets 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 weird. Okay. So the animal body, as we under know clearly, is a template for the human body at some point. But Humans are animals. Humans yes. are animals. Exactly. Right? Clearly. Exactly. Uh, bilateral symmetry, all this. I mean, stuff. they're they're, they're, they're fucking yeah, apes. They're primates. They're great yeah, exactly. apes. There's just no exactly. doubt about that. Or at least exactly. in this frame of mind, you're not exactly. in a totally different uh, supernatural, whatever. Or or maybe we're aliens. I don't know. But I, as far as I'm concerned, we're great apes. <laughs> so, we were put here as seeds. Well, we're somebody put here special. You know, right. well, at least not my frame. We're right. Talking fucking apes. That's a, a given. Okay. So. But I would not say that the human mind emerges from the animal mind. I would say the animal mind, the animal, I mean, I don't even like calling it the animal mind. They're both, to me, mind is something the body does. So it's just this weird language for me. Okay, so let me just throw this out and, and see. So one of the things I teach is that when you look at uh, this, the, the perceptual system, of a of an animal okay mm -hmm. 
um, okay. suffic sufficiently sophisticated animal, but this then I can bring it into the sensory motor, but we're not doing mm -hmm. that right now. Okay, you will see that the perceptual system, that all the organs of perception contribute to two subsystems, an egocentric system and an allocentric system. Okay. And so when a rat, um, when a rat looks out into the world, mm -hmm. uh, he's a perfect example of my animal here. Mm -hmm. He looks out into the world. He knows the tree is there related to me himself mm -hmm. here, but he also knows there's a kind of a map, uh, an allocentric or world-like map. He knows okay. where that tree is related to everything else. Mm -hmm. So as he moves around, mm -hmm. he doesn't get confused. Like I used to watch my dogs. I used to have this being living in this uh, little A-frame mm -hmm. and and we were looking out of the mountains and there was the whole thing was windows. And then they'd see a squirrel run like this, but the dog door was back there and they immediately knew to run there because nice. they have an allocentric map. Okay. Right. Yeah. And yep. so egocentric participation produces allocentric maps, even in bees. That's why they can do the. That's why they rapid. do the dance and the show exactly. you where they are. Okay. Totally. So you have these two subsystems. Okay. I argue. Okay. Then there's something happens um, in in certain animals is that in a rat, you can simulate your environment. Mm -hmm. Okay. Oh. You can simulate both an egocentric version, so you can dream in first person perspective, yep. and an allocentric. Perspective. Okay. We also know that rats can dream hypothetical environments. Hmm. So there's this famous uh, um, uh, research where this guy was studying rats, training them to run mazes. It was one of these fortunate accidents. But instead of watching the brain activity on a oscilloscope, you know, they have like things in their head. He realized that he could he could hear patterns more finely than C patterns. So he, <laughs> instead of having an oscilloscope, he mm -hmm. had it make sounds. Yeah, okay. And he got so he could tell from the sounds that the computer was translating. Mm -hmm. He could sell, tell if the rats were running at maze A or if they were running maze B. Cool. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, one day he was taking notes. It was late at night. He forgot to shut his machine off and he heard a rat dreaming. And it wasn't dreaming maze A. And it wasn't dreaming maze B. Cool. It was dreaming a combination of them. Lovely. And this then it went on to be heavily researched. So mm. when we dream, we create hypothetical environments. Now, this also explains the phenomenon that people have in laboratory rats of them leaping ahead of, they learn faster than you imagine. But this is, yeah. it would be important for a rat to learn how to move around this tree and that tree. And the chances of another tree would be like both of them mm -hmm. and so he pre-learns okay mm -hmm. now so but rats can simulate the environment they can simulate hypothetical environments we and of course we can do that too except the things we simulate are just, just we're fucking insane but they're way, <laughs> way off the track okay right okay all right so now so when when he when um Okay, so that's what, so that's it. When a person is simulating, like if you're simulating thoughts, if you're thinking with thoughts in your head, uh -huh. what you're simulating, that simulation runs through the muscular 
the musculoskeletal body, uh-huh. which is why if you think with thoughts in your head, like I'm thinking, okay, what am I going to do? Or, I'm, you know, you can put a thing on your face and it can tell you what you're saying. Yep. There's no minded activity that doesn't process through the same structures that the perceptual animal activity processes. It just is not, there's no extra normal mental processes. Okay. So, so internal perceptions also follow the two subsystems. Okay. And what I say is mind, and we call, you know, we have a, a casual way of talking about the mind and the psyche. I, I claim, and you can get to Jane, uh, June, James Austin, Jane Austen's work. James Austin, he's a neurophenomenologist and a neuroscientist, that in the virtual self, in the simulated uh, environment, uh-huh. which there are two subsets, just like the, the Allison egocentric. And this has been neuro, um, you know, when they do CAT uh-huh. scans and they, they whatever, they see the activity. Uh-huh. Okay. It's not really right brain, left brain. It's caudal to uh, dorsal to caudal and all these things. Okay. So the the egocentric pathways produce what we call the psyche because it references the self, what matters to me. The allocentric pathways are the mind. Like, let's simulate what are we going to do here? Like, that's like your jam board. In Mm -hmm. fact, if you see your jam, for most people, the jam boards up here. Yep. <laughs> the psyche's down there. Yep. Okay. And this is because when an animal's in its environment, uh-huh. the egocentric is here, me, mine, my baby, my bone, my bed, my den. So we still look down there to access what's close and egocentric. Yep. Okay. It. So what I'm getting at is this is not a story of emergence. This is a story of deep continuity. I don't have to have any leaps of faith. I can show, boo, 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 parcelate all the templates in and out of up to this point anyways. We haven't gotten very far, but Mm -hmm. up to this point. So let's take on language. All right. All right. In the same way. Okay. So so a lot of my work is teaching people to have, be able to discern egocentric and allocentric processes internally by using cues of moving in the environment through the perceptual system because you could yeah so this is what i call you know uh yeah so um okay so what is the nature of language oh let's get to the next one i'll just drop it here okay so there is a kind of simulation we do we simulate hypothetical environments it gets much more complex but there is a simulation that humans do that apparently no other animals do. We don't know for sure. No, of course. But mm-hmm. is we simulate ourselves. Okay. Okay. This is may, this is, we'll just put that there. We'll get back to it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we can see. Uh, all right. So let me get to language. What is language? Language is inherently something that maps onto something else. Okay. We don't have to get into the semiotic triangle. It's too complex for me. I'm going to be simple. Okay. So if I point at the bottle, 
Mm-hmm. That's communication. That's a kind of language, right? <clears throat> just, just it's a it's a way of communicating. Well, was, okay. okay, so there's this book by Alan Noe. It says gestures. Many people, new science, gestures are language. Gestures, gesturing, gestures are language. Let's just not beat up whether you want to call it language or not. Okay, and so then <clears throat> that's one one thing. Okay. Then we get where um, the ape doesn't have to beat up the other ape. He can just make a gesture and it tells him, no, I don't have to run all the way over there to beat up on you and then beat up on this one because you both want to fuck my girl. I can just gesture, okay? Yep. And then soon these gestures have sounds, you know? So Mm -hmm. now when you're hiding around the tree, I can make the sounds. Right. And so what these things do is they increase the geosocial space of the communication. So text okay. can I can take the text, the Torah, go all around the world with it, and etc. Okay. <clears throat> now, why are animals able to map a gesture or a sound onto something? These are all different types of mappings. Mm-hmm. Well, it turns out it's because <clears throat> our perceptual system is works with cross-modal synesthesia, right? Mm-hmm. So when you hear something, your ears are trying to, it, it, it's not, totally. the, right, exactly. Now, it turns out that the perceptual wiring in the humans is all cross. We don't have more wires. We have more crosses. Okay. And so we can say something like, um we could say something like oh the 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 air is sharp today mm. air is mm-hmm. one thing mm-hmm. sharp is another and so this is called <clears throat> cross modal synesthesia it happens in our imagination because our perceptual systems like this this is one of the one of the um consequences of this is we become very, very innovative tool users because I can see that that log is like my arm. Mm -hmm. Boom, boom, boom. I can see that this is like that and this is like that. And all works of scientific innovation has been the power to see that something is like something else or an instance of something else in a way that's never been seen before. This, I would argue, is signature human cross and so does Harry Hunt <clears throat> cross modal synesthesia? All right. Um, all right, and so then we get into Lakoff and Johnson that shows that cross modal uh, language, human language, is metaphoric. Yeah. The fact that we can make so many metaphors is because we're able to have cross modal synesthesia. This is the foundation of um, hum- human ingenuity. That's one argument. Um, I, I don't think it conflicts with what you're saying. I'm saying that it can really be. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, that's certainly a reasonable. Well, I mean, I'd have to qualify it in some ways. But yes, that's a very important. I, there's nothing you're saying I'm disagreeing with. Right, right. I'm just saying it, we might not have to have these taxonomy emergence like Roy Bashgar would say. I know uh, we could have the glue all the way through poured there. OK, so all right now. I'm Nobody. feeling the glue, Bonnie. Okay, we can feel glue. And we can we feel attachment. Feel, we can feel <laughs> the glue. Okay, uh, number eight. So that was a little, okay, I only have two more in the, in the notice. Okay, number eight is um, 
this one's a big one. And um, we have to make the distinction. This comes much from more from Eastern uh, influences. Um, but we have to make the distinction between the nature of mind and the kind of mind we have. Okay. Okay. So, um, so for example, I would argue it is not the nature of mind to think with thoughts. That's the kind of mind we happen to have. Okay. I would argue that the justification system is not the nature of mind. It doesn't, it's not the ontological ladder. It happens to be the kind of mind we have. And this is where I drew that arc. I'm like, these, these, these ways of simulating reality, I think are ontological real levels. Mm-hmm. But what in the and the fact that language gets so it can, you know, um, increase geo itself across geosocial space is these templates ontologically um, part of the ladder. But I, what we justify and how we justify and how we use language, this I think is all contingent. Okay. It's, it's yeah, just, yeah, yeah, that's fair. Okay. So we have to be careful not to say because the justification system is so complex that it then leads to the next evolutionary. Oh, mutation. okay. Greed. Okay. I didn't want to say that. And so, and this. Okay, I'm glad you said that because sometimes that's what I think you're saying, and that's what we were trying to suss out when we were at Maple. Like mm. I was saying, but just and and so for me, it's like that's. I, that's an interesting how you make that distinction. Okay. Okay. So um, simulations I already went through and simulate the self. Okay, I'm done. Those were my first thoughts that I didn't think of, but my else thought of that I thought. Um, yeah. So that's 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 you can now you can uh, either ask clarifying questions or throw back. Uh, so, I think we have a cool yin yang going with my black shirt and white thing and your black <laughs> white shirt. How's that? Well, you know, these things have a way of <laughs> these things have a way of showing up, don't they? See, I'm counting on the gray. See mm. that you're gray. Well, we, got, we can then blend into the gray, right? And see exactly. where the gray areas are. Yeah. Hmm. All right. So well, let's get let's get a couple things clear. Okay. Yeah. All right. Anybody watching the show can't he cannot hear. And I didn't tell me if you heard this. When we say transcendent and talk about emergence, we're not saying that magic happens like the hand of God. That is not what we're saying to get us from one level to another. The tree of knowledge is crystal clear about this is a continuity to discontinuity relation, but there's an absolute continuity. And indeed, basically, when I jam although I think it's an inadequate theory and I think we need things like Michael Levin's work. And I have this guy, John Torday, who I used to follow. I don't think evolutionary theory, the way it's currently framed is up to the task of really filling in all the gaps, but basically there's an natural selection, genetic cell theory framework that allows us to jump from biochemistry into molecular biology, into the emergence of cells that are then replicating themselves. Right. Right. Okay. There's no magic that's happening there. Uh, right. But there but are. You understand how some people use the word emergence, and they don't. It doesn't mean anything because they just oh, okay, invent something enough. emerges. But, but but don't. Okay, that's uh, yeah. But 
Yes, that's that's fair enough. Let's be clear. Right. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Then John, John, I even wanted. So here's what I I mean, John wanted that. John calls that strong emergence. Uh, so we can some maybe some people just use the term emergence. All I'm saying is I think as you get complexification, the whole then contextualizes the part and their holistic processes that need to be understood. And those things can't be reduced to the parts. Okay. Know. Now we have to talk about holes and parts. All right. Well, is that an 11th thing? Yes. <laughs> okay. No, no, because we have to get the terms first. And, and So you hear me, you hear that John and I, on the, we're not talking about magic, especially in our extended natural. Well, uh, magic, I don't think you believe in magic. Okay, I'm or the saying, hand of God. Or, I, mean, that's I know, but I'm saying if you, if you, it's not clear what you guys mean by emergence. It because it's just oh, and then th this emerges from that. But then I want to say, but how? Right. And, well, okay. And, so life he, emerges out of pools. You know, I like uh, shoot. Why am I blanking on his name? Damer, uh, I think, uh, uh, was just on Jim Rutt twice, uh, and was really articulating warm. Uh, can, I, can I say something? I hope yeah. there's no like no traumatized. People in the audience whose parents fought a lot. <laughs> well, this is not okay. Yes, for anybody in the audience, this is for me. So I feel is, I'm enjoying this. With trigger, love. trigger warning. Trigger warning. This I've is, been having. I was trying to get Bonnie on my show, and now she's graced my presence with my show, and I'm delighted. And so yes, that's so it's just a trigger warning. This is oh my, yes. if, right. If you yeah, and you have to be able to discern real genuine hostility from playful engagement that no, enables no, no, us to is, grow. This is good. Okay. Yeah. So emergence. I, I I certainly don't think you guys believe in magic okay. or you're trying to hide the hand of God, but but it yeah, go ahead. Sorry, you you, you were saying the. Well, I'm just I'm saying, I, and we delineate. I basically say, hey, at the very least, you need natural selection, some kind of genetic information transmission, and some type of physiological cellular theory to come together to explain how you get from biochemical parts into fully functioning cells. And there's a historical developmental process that gave rise to the emergence of a complex adaptive system called a cell. Okay. But what if the biochemical parts have causal properties that are actually more like the next level than you think they are? That's, well, that's my a, that's, a, that's a great question. Although I would argue you go as you go down the stack, I mean, I have the periodic table of behaviors that list out 12 different levels. And as you go, first off, there's the whole, what is an organelle and what's a prebiotic structure <clears throat> and what is it doing like a virus? Right. But as by the time you get to a water molecule down into a hydrogen atom, you've lost whatever that is. OK, I mean, I don't think we really disagree. I no. really tr don't want to for this. I don't want to yeah, go anyway, that far wanna, down uh, this. Uh, yes, that, that's I'm fine. I'm done with that. I just want to. No, 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 no. We can do this later, but I don't want to go down that, that okay. far down the stack. Because yeah, we want to stay. It's a lot like we're just in this little. OK, let, I'm happy to stay. OK. And the other. Yeah, there were, I should have taken notes. So I'll go back and listen. I'll write you a long note. No, no, I'm going to write them for okay. you too. You write so them that to you me. Have to watch. Let's have a long going conversation. Here's yeah. another thing that I'm like, mm, yeah, yeah. What do you want to put in? Okay, I want to let's 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 not conflate communication with a loose definition of language and not separate separate propositional, symbolic, syntactical language. That's okay. what I am talking about. 
propositional, symbolic, syntactical language, which is hu AKA human language, and what it makes it very different from the communication processes of the rest of the animal kingdom. Okay. Fair? I mean, that's a, that is a- I think there's wiggle room. <laughs> Okay, well, maybe let's talk. But and what I mean is that humans tipped into their symbolic tagging. Other animals have this. Give me a very simple propositional statement. There, there are the antelope. That's my, that's there, my goat. Okay, there I are would the argue that prairie dogs can say that. And actually, you can look at the research on prairie dog language. They can say, there is the man who wears the red shirt. He's bad. So they have a propositional language. All right. Well, let's, okay. That, that's a debatable okay. point. Can they ask questions about how do you know? Are you sure about that? Can they ask questions no, back okay. and forth? But I'm saying the word propositional is too coarse grained. It's a, yet again, a big jump because you can find it. Now you can say, this is what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to ooze the glue into right. and the I, and I am saying, And I am saying, this is my theory, this is the framework, and this is the core insight that starts you talk to the extent that it's an insight. And that is, there is a really important tipping point from antelope bear, which is like what other, which would be in a shared, very multimodal hominid structure. Okay, so I, that I would see like in Tomasello's work that allows us to bind our minds together and shared attention in attention in a different sort of primate way, perhaps. I don't know what you think of his work, but anyway. Um, so a million years ago, hominids capable of doing a lot 500,000 years ago, symbolic tagging is emerging with a lot of fluidity and then symbolic syntactical propositional speech. That's what I'm claiming to be a different kind of animal. And that's generative because it gives rise to the question answer dynamic and the problem of justification. Yeah, 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 and that explodes. We need which you is exactly what we're don't. doing here, trying to figure out what's justified. You, oh, that, is, <laughs> that was a low blow. That was a high blow. That was a low blow. <laughs> You're that's high. A kick into the balls. I'm just going to let that pass because that's coming later. But we, we already know that the fact, the, the template of being a propositional statement is already in the lower animals. Now we have to ask it, what is it that makes the kinds of propositional statements people make different? That's an interesting question. I'm just gonna put a question mark there. I don't wanna give you all the answers in the first hour. <laughs> okay, well, this is a great, yeah. Right, I mean, obviously there's something we do different than prairie dogs, but it's not just that word, okay. Tactical. What is tactical in your, what's a tactical? Symbolic syntactical. Syntax. Oh, okay. syntax. So okay. symbolic, in other words, Chomsky's essentially language acquisition device, although he over-essentializes it, but basically is that placing. Is Hold on. Symbolic syntactical, is that one category? It's a dash. Well, okay, yeah, symbolic yeah. happens first, like you can engage in symbolic tagging, yeah. and then we get a language acquisition device that puts it in a grammatical framing that enables propositions and question-answer dynamics. That's the claim. Question answer dynamic. Meaning that you can make a statement. Their antelope can't really be challenged directly. It can only be embodied and enacted in a particular way. There are the antelope makes a positive, that's what a proposition is, a positive meaning statement. 
that we can then imagine sort of takes up space. And as it takes up space, there's negative space around it. Like, yeah. no, that's not true. And my argument is, is that the proposition then gives rise to the question, which plugs into it and opens up the counterfactual possibilities. As you open up the counterfactual possibilities, you create a dynamic tension, which I call the problem of justification. The problem of justification then fills that in, and we humans build justification systems, and it is that kind of process that makes us very different. Yeah, and I think it's <clears throat> problematic. Okay, so okay, fair uh, enough. But then yeah. that's that's the claim, and then okay. we can see whether yeah, yeah. it's bullshit. All right, it's not justifiable. So we're gonna have to talk about language at some point. That okay. that may be a, a thing where we have to like just talk about that. I mean, I have a lot okay. to say, but. But, yeah. All right. Yeah. So that, those are at least two things that uh, that emerge that where I really want to like, OK, I'm precise about at least what I mean about yeah. human language relative to communication in general. Clearly, other animals communicate, obviously, and thus they have a language in that sense, but they don't have symbolic, syntactical, propositional language like us. That's what I would say. Yeah. So it's a kind like, of propositional language that's symbolic, syntactical right. proposition versus Right. I was taking them as three bullets and and no, it's a it's a it's network. Right. And then the argument is that the network creates a totally different complex adaptive space, very similar to the way animals getting up with complex active bodies and moving around created a whole different niche. Oh yeah, because language maps onto the place cells and it's an exaptation of the place cells. This is why. You know, this is why word clouds are real. You have this little place where these things live and you have the archetypal bird there. And then some, you know, over here you have the platypus and it's kind of there in the bird. And and there there are rooms, you know, you can you can. Right. And that multimodal connection, that empathy theory of mind connection, yeah. that was all the cognitive machinery that affords us these capacities, I think, to explore counterfactual spaces potentially. Yeah. And really. Um, but they anyway. Yeah. Okay. okay. So where do you want to go? What, there's, I could come back to some of What do you? Yeah, let's go. I, I just want to say one thing because, and, and it's a, it's a dingleberry now. So we just park it um, and then we'll come back to yours. Cause I wrote holes and parts at some point. Um, <clears throat> we have to make sure holes and parts and the misuse of those categories is a real problem. Like, um, <clears throat> And like, okay, as as you know, I'm just I'm just gonna park this instead okay. of not saying it. I'll just not say it. Go ahead. All right. Um, oh, the other thing that I definitely need to say is science. I'm very clear about they're different. Uh, always they're different references in our terms. Okay. There's the epistemological slash methodological meaning of science, and I think that's what you're giving. That's what I would call that. Okay. And and you have a nice little. There'd be different. You know, is there really a method? Is there really epistemology? Your sentence, that's really tight. That's cool. That's what I would say would be the epistemological, methodological meaning of science. Right. And then scientific reductionism is inferred. Well, then that. there's the ontological scientific worldview. Okay. The ontology of science as a worldview. And that's okay. what reductive mechanical materialism. It's the, it's the emergence of induction. Yeah, that's not fair because not all science has that worldview. Of course. No, I'm, I agree with that. I'm not saying I don't say that science. I Well, if I write in my book and try to be clear, and if I'm not, obviously, you're making shortcuts. The context of language, 
our mapping of self in relation to the world defines the terms. Sometimes I'm talking about methods and sometimes I'm talking about the worldview that emerged. Now, when John and I are doing- Emerged with a D, right? Yeah, emerged with a D. Like, like, Like the- when we talk about the modernity in Western European American civilization, modernity arising out of the traditional and the modern science, what I call men's knowledge, modern empirical natural science, relative to Christianity, you can certainly argue that the large ontological worldview is, oh, everything reduces to a mechanical matter view, pre, especially pre-modern physics. There's a mechanical materialism that becomes a dominant worldview that kills God and basically causes us to be meat bodies. So I want to, I want to simplify that. I'm all into simplify. That was, that was my simplify. Um, All of that I think can be reducible to Newtonian causality. When science when someone adopts Newtonian causality, it becomes exactly what you said, a worldview that is reductive. So, and my point is, is that there's a lot of different types of causality in the scientific literature, a lot of it in the philosophy of science and a lot Mm -hmm. in philosophy that is being useful um, to, um, and you could even say emergence is one. Emergence mm-hmm. is not Newtonian causality. So, mm-hmm. so, um, so I think that's. So I think we can hang our hat on when, when, uh, when the inference is that the causal properties are acting are billiard linear billiard ball causality. This is a error that needs to be corrected. And I would argue it's an error even at the level of, um, um, even at some levels that that a lot of people will critique uh, Newtonian causality, but then at some level they accept it. And I'm saying it's not acceptable at any level. Uh, as an ontology, it's a, it's acceptable as a shorthand. Is um, it acceptable for billiard balls and plants? In plants, no. Planets, not plants. Plant. Planets, planets, and billiard balls. No, and this okay. is what Michael Levin says: We're comfortable with things that are at our scale move at a certain rate, and and uh, you know, and things that are too small, too slow, too large, or too fast. We don't under we we put them in there we put them in these other categories so we don't think a mountain we think we we think these things we're more prone to think these things don't have any kind of agental aspect they don't emanate any agent agency I would argue that this is a, a is is a fallacy all the way up and all the way down and that is what mm. is okay so. I'm sorry. So, so okay. would you you would say potentially a mountain would have agency? Yeah, I, I okay. I would. It depends what we mean by agency. So <laughs> okay. let me. Um, I think that all forms are self-animated. So Newton said, you know, that objects 
in motion, stay in motion unless a force is acted on them. In objects at rest, stay at rest unless a force actions uh, operates on them. And this is happens to be not true. Einstein proved that gravity is not a force that draws things together. Gravity is what mass does. That's its agency. And this whole talk of things and forces that move them is a linguistic convention that is leads to false inferences. So for example, when I was a kid and I learned science and I looked at the science, the, the learned about electricity and I look at the diagram and you see an iron, a piece of iron and a copper wire rolled on it. Mm -hmm. And then it's, there's a grounded to something here and there's a light bulb here and the light goes up. And the teacher said, that's because the electricity is going through it. And I'm like, where'd the electricity come from? I see a magnet. Oh, and some a copper wire and a glass. There are there electricity is a linguistic convention. It's not a force that's operating this. It's a great video by Veracitum. Saw that. Yeah. And so this is a deeply constraining and fallacious metaphysical model we have about objects and forces. And this is the problem. Okay. So that's another move that I think we have to make. And All right, that's an interesting move. Yeah. Uh, and and that's a, I am not committed to that, but there's things that I can learn in this. Uh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not operating from a, that. this is this is a deep conversation I'd like to have. Well, you can see it, it helps you with your continuity because you're sure. willing to give quantum level a lot more freedom. And so you're, you're kind of like inconsistent in this middle realm. And that, so this, I think, is like shows that you're right, but yeah. well, do right. You, I, I mean, I, do you, you okay. know what I'm saying? This is this is why this is why it's too weird that there's like quantum freedom, and then all this stuff is determined, and then and so what I'm saying, of course, it's different coming sliding up and down, but this helps us understand. Well, then we don't have to jump. This is a weird thing that scientists have, right? Like, so so. Okay, so that's also something important that that yeah that is is part of the soup. I'm just talking about the kinds of soups that that I swim in that are uh, yeah. Um, well, yes. I mean, for me, for me all so this there's a matter object view that's exemplified by Newton as a particular kind of mechanical worldview, and then we have an energy information that that's the shorthand that I use for that. Yeah revealed underneath and then this is an energy information field those are actually the the core metaphysical concepts that you talk uses to frame the world yeah that's energy. very similar to complex potential states okay. right so but but yeah i i'm kind of i don't have anything else to say so you go for a while <laughs> okay i mean you know that uh, so I, that the nature, you know, the model that I have for those kinds of things would be interesting, absolutely, because I see it as, you know, I mean, does the, well, I mean, would you say that the matter space time world emerged out of, you know, Big Bang or whatever? Would you use that term? Emerge out of? You wouldn't? No, 
Okay. I would not say the tree emerged out of the seed. Okay. So now what we have to look at is exactly this whole, okay, holes and parts and priors and posteriors. Okay. okay. So there's, again, a lot of is, is just noticing the mental, like, okay, here's a very simple one. I'm going to sidestep this and then we'll go to the, the what you just asked. It's like, I'll ask my students, are we in nature the way candy's in a box? And everyone will say, no, of course not. But then I'll say, but well, then how are we in nature? And so what happens is when people then start to talk, they realize that the, the, the questions they can ask, the possibilities they can imagine are constrained because very subtly we think we're in nature the way candy's in a box. So there are several <clears throat> mental models that are constrained by this funny language that we're not so stupid we would say the same way candy's in a box, mm -hmm. but they subtly uh, overdetermine uh, what we can imagine in science and these rigorous philosophies and metapsychologies like you're doing. And here's one of them. Whole and parts is also a, a big one. So, the and this is a simplification of process philosophy, but it's, it's, I, you know, it's not, it's very, it's very sophisticated process philosophy. Okay, so <clears throat> the seed is the hole from which the tree comes from. Okay. And it's also the part that the tree makes. We need different words because when we're talking holes and parts, we have the same, we have either the same word for two different things, or it's the same thing needing a different context. When does a whole become a part? And whole part uh, unfoldment. So I would say the universe unfolds from a prior potential okay. that was all potential and no actual. Okay. And, um, and Are you using Bashkar's sense of like uh, potential, actual, empirical? No, this is okay. pure Whitehead. Okay. Uh, Whitehead okay. says the problem with these models is they don't, they don't count, they only count actuals and not potentials. Okay. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So now we have an interesting series of questions Is the seed, the prior seed, more or less complex than the tree? Impossible to answer. But when you see is, and so what's more complex has to do with what is, you have to know if it's more or less complex, a whole or a part, a prior potential or a posterior actual. And these, understanding this is a, big part of this conversation that's happening or not happening. If if you, you know, there's nothing wrong with your model. And it's, it's I'm saying that we could ha have fun jamming it into this. Oh yeah, no, obviously. Yeah. I mean, and it is a, it's a frame that's actually built as I try to tell people very clearly. I mean, I'm uh, what I'm building is at least a part of a frame for the 
21st century. And what I mean by that is I'm contextualizing it in this right. knowledge system that is then going to be completely irrelevant, probably, right. or or just part of a lineage. Right. Um, this is not like, I don't have any foundational elements. Uh, I'm embedded in American psychology, for Christ's sake. That's like yeah. kind of much in the way of foundational no, no. elements. <laughs> but I I've find been, certain things inside of I've been doing metaphysics for a long you know, time. Uh, you know, okay. I, okay. So, so anyway. is is the tree more or less complex than the soil it grows from? You see, this is the problem with thinking that things are more, because you can automatically feel it, that you're you're picking and choosing what well, you're seeing. Well, okay, but I, I will say this. Yeah. We can, what, what the tree of knowledge, the, you know, yeah. the cones, those upside down cones are doing, is they're tracking a process of complexification that is our historical trail, a process of complexification, which is the process by which parts are yoking up to become holes. So there are electrons and protons and they become hydrogen atoms. Okay. okay. So, and then atoms become molecules <laughs> and molecules become biochemical parts. And biochemical parts coalesce into cellular holes, and then they become prokaryotic to eukaryotic by fusing to become a greater complexified whole. And you get multicellular kingdoms, and then you get uh, organization around a multicellular system in an animal, and you get groups of animals, and then you get layered on top of that. A particular. So I will say there's a complexification process that is our historical lineage. Is that yes. fair? Yes. Yes. Okay. okay. So now we're gonna switch to okay. the notion of a compound individual notion of a what compound individual compound okay. individual okay uh, this is michael evans work um <clears throat> and that is when um so my cells have agency the cells in me sure the the god there's more non-human cells in a human body if you don't count the blood cells then there are human cells your gut biome and yeah, all it's these almost things. like some i heard some estimates of 10 to 1 to, exactly to, to so us. this thing is a compound individual clearly okay so now what's really interesting is that there's it, there's degrees of freedom and constraint on both sides I can't tell my I can't tell the ribosomes to do how to do what they do. It's it's impossible for me to. If do you figure that. that out, shoot us a right? note. <laughs> Nobody knows how that happens, mm -hmm. and um, the the cells. I, so here's so here's some more grammar that's a little bit helpful. So I am my interior is the habitat for many cells, Clearly. right? So if I my sugar spikes, all the cells in my interior, maybe not all of them, maybe not the bacteria, but anyways, they suffer. Only the only the pancreas can do. There's a whole climate inside of uh, right, Anita's exactly. gut. <laughs> and if I look at that from a certain perspective, I would say that's pond life. Looks like nature to me. Yep. Sure. Okay, and so nature's out there and nature's in here. <clears throat> okay, so um, when I am doing, um, you know, I'm one, one, the square root of eight, when I'm doing math in my head, mm -hmm. 
my brain is not doing math. If I go in and look, it looks like pond life, right? Okay, so one of the things we can talk about is, this is all getting to reframing complexification. Okay, so what there's a, one couple of things we know is that when I am, okay, let's take the beaver, it's easier. The beaver <clears throat> is moving around <clears throat> the pond. And, and when we move in our environment, when I, I'll say me, when I see a tree, there's a, as what is, it's not, it's, there's the tree, the light coming off the tree, the perceptual array, the photons, it immediately changes my interior habitat. It okay. changes, the, tr- yeah. the, the light is- The tree's changed. in affordance, we can do some Gibson stuff here, right? Exactly, uh, okay. okay. So my habitat is ingressed into my, my me as a habitat. Okay. And that is the habitat for the sub-members. Okay. Okay. So, so that to me, that's what your complexification is showing. It's the iterative growth of habitat and habitats. Okay. So it's called, AKA the compound individual. That's what Michael Levin talks about. Okay. So, so now this gets very weird because people, just like the beaver swims in the water, people swim in language. And this is something we'll talk about in terms of what chat GPT does. And because if you're a person and you grow up let's say a person not in, in the near future and you're in a lane, uh, knowledge economy. Uh, and what do I mean by knowledge economy? There's very little actual real knowledge being created in our economy. It just gets compounded because it happens to be the economy we're in. There's, there's nothing much new under the sun. Um, <clears throat> if, so if I'm on the computer all the time and I'm swimming in language, then the only thing that's going to be ingressed into me is language and very little of the real habitat. And this is what I would say is what creates iteratively, iteratively, and then you just, people just swim in a justification system. They simulate themselves in the justification system. So it produces a subjectivity. My whole habitat is not able to perceive the real world. Okay. And this is, yeah. Mm -hmm. So this is uh, one of of those problems um, that I think is why you can't solve the the reality problem through language because you're just, it's it's not because the propositions, it's because what actually is creating the subjectivity is the habitat that the organism is coming in. I, I, I don't I don't disagree with that. I mean, uh, you know, at the level of, I mean, certainly what I think we're fundamentally disconnected profoundly because of the way in which we play in our 
and swim in language relative to the world. And the fact that we can simulate ourselves. And the fact that we can simulate ourselves so doing it. And I, and I think that the digital world is going to just make that, you know, ever more, if in, okay. depending on how things evolve. But So if that's not the direction of the new human, what do I think is the direction of the new human? So this is where... Well, we when you say direction, you think, the, is this the direction you want us to go? Or you think we're going to go? Or what? What do we say direction? <laughs> Um, so the, the, the stack, the ev true evolutionary stack, I mean, mm -hmm. the thing is we could be wiped out and it could start over and stuff like that. Right. But, but let's get to something that's like not now more spiritual. Like what do I see, um, at, as I don't see what spiritual is in language okay. and, this is, are we getting system. to your fierce naturalism at the level of what what it means in a spiritual sense? Yes. Okay. I'm gonna. Gotcha. I'm going to glue the highest spiritual intuition. <laughs> hey, listen, <laughs> we're hearing it now. Perhaps to something a bee can do. Okay. Okay. And <laughs> you have you got an audience. I think I think we tap they, into they, it. They always clap too soon. They always clap to the the the, the, the fierce naturalism in them and connect. Okay. So so there's um <clears throat> I'm gonna do a little metaphysics, but I, I, I do it pretty light. Um, okay. 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 Um, so there's there's two types of uh, abstractions. Hartshorn did a really good job talking about what I'm going to call the categorical abstractions. He didn't use that uh, term, but it's easy to understand. Who who did you mention? I didn't hear the Charles name. Charles Hartshorn. Okay. Um, who you know was a whitehead process philosopher mm, um, gotcha. who who wrote about um, process theology. Uh, but he did a lot of metaphysics that was implicit in Whitehead's work, but he did it in a way that's much more understandable, although difficult to understand. Okay, good. So he says there's two types of abstractions. Oh, no, I say there's two types. So he's talking about categorical abstractions. And a categorical abstraction is like the word red, okay? Mm. I can see red pants and red crayons and a red mm. book, but there is no such thing. Thing as red it's always uh, red has to be instantiated so we abstract from all the instances of redness a thing okay. called red it's a abst categorical abstraction okay, okay? Right. it's basically related to set theory right okay all okay. right i'm following that then yeah so so um uh so those are categorical abstractions and um but the thing about categorical abstractions is you literally can really just see instances of them. <laughs> I can just see red. I mean, it's just my animal perceptual system, right? That's yeah. how I see them and then I abstract them. So one of the things uh, Hartshorn and Whitehead uh, um, cautions against is that um, it's called misplaced concreteness when we think there is such a thing as red. And I would argue this is a problem in a much spirituality that comes from 
uh, our ability to think with thoughts. We're going to get to the second type of abstraction. Okay. And so, for example, before Plato, we had these allegories and these myths, and they were very chaotic. Like the hero also raped his daughter and mm. then was a villain, but sometimes was a joker. And then some, you know, so these, these figures were very chaotic. And then Socrates comes along and says, well, we don't know any people who are just heroic. This person's heroic and he's an asshole. And this person's uh -huh. an asshole, but he feeds the poor. <clears throat> so let's try to define the qualities themselves. Okay. Courage, virtue, right. sure. heroism. Okay. This is misplaced concreteness because there is no virtue like there is no red. There's only uh -huh. instantiations of it. Okay. And, and Whitehead is... Uh, would argue um, that all of philosophy is just a footnote to Plato because of this problem, misplaced concreteness. Okay? okay. So, in my opinion, any spirituality that makes this problem is off the beaten track. Okay. However, there's a kind of abstraction that's on the beaten track, and I call them pure abstractions. Is this a third, or you say this is a different? Or where's this? There's categorical, there's categorical? abstraction, and okay. then there's pure abstraction. Pure. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Okay, right. yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, it'll turn out that this sounds very close to the Pythagoreans. Okay. okay. And there is a reason I'm not able to explain it well. Uh, but if that comes up in your mind, then we're on the right scent. Okay. okay. So, categorical abstractions, there's a lot of spirituality, a lot of theology. Uh -huh. That is in that arena. I would say that's in the wrong direction. And there's these strong critiques of Hartshorn. Okay. okay. Pure abstractions. I'm going to give a very simple example. All right. Um, okay. So if I draw this, I draw this. And line. I say it's a circle. Or right. Mm -hmm. Okay. I draw this line in a certain way. Linguistic convention is that it's a circle. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> That's all I'm saying this is. Okay. Now, if I say, where is the center of the circle? Uh -huh. You automatically and know I... what it means, but uh -huh. there's nothing there. Okay. Fair. It's there and it's not there at the same time. Okay. That's a pure abstraction. Now, at a certain level, the circle is too, but... I just wanted to make it one level one. So the circle is there and the center is there and not there at the same time. So unlike a categorical, uh, a categorical abstraction, you really don't see it the way you see red. Okay. But it's really there. And the Buddhist Song Tantika, or there's some Buddhist that that's a different uh, argument. Um, <clears throat> I argue that the mind is an organ of perception, and that's what it sees. Okay. And that's what I train people. And okay. When I, tra when I train them uh, spirituality, mm. it's very similar to that. Mm. And you can only learn that by studying nature. And the bee, when he comes and he does his waggle dance, uh -huh. is, is, is diagramming a pure abstraction. Okay. 
a certain angle toward the light, you know, they see the light come through the sky and that creates an angle and, the, and all this stuff. Okay. So I would say this is on this ontological stack, deep mm. continuity. Um, uh, and, and now here's the kicker for your okay. audience. And this is a lot. I mean, I'm trying to give you my whole frame. Okay. And, I'm loving it. Yeah. 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 Uh, can I ask a quick question though? Is, yeah. Is, yeah. If we say sort of categories of abstraction, say for things in the world like redness, what about like mathematics and and mathematics, pi? Is, yeah, they're pure abstractions. They're more pure on the end, yeah. right? Okay, gotcha. Exactly. Okay. Right, I'll send you me. a link to my uh, course on pure abstractions. It has all these cool uh, new videos that show like what Euler's equation really is doing. Is as if these things are really moving in. Of course. This is after the, you know, the way that a mathematician can see what Euler's equation really means, I can't. They're right. not doing computation. They see the way we saw the center of the circle. You oh. and I can see the center of the circle. Right. All right. I, All right. I, this I, is so, it. We have to, we, let's talk about this. Because obviously this, not obviously, this I-quad coin. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Extends from category into pure abstraction. I'll explain it to you at some point. Yes, okay? I would so say the, so the I quad coin. I'm after pure abstraction. Why is it one? Why does it equal I to the fourth? And actually, it connects directly to the Euler identity and the Euler formula. Believe it or not. Yeah. Okay. So right. you can you right. Okay. That gets so me excited inside. This by is the way. not. I'm yin yanging this. Yeah, yeah. No, this is good. So right. it's not propositional. It's not. So now we have ways to really and i love it that i can tell i call them biomarkers you know whether you're imagining remembering categorically abstracting or something it's something else we just it's know it's else. something else okay. okay that's that's very exciting to me bonnie okay that my body feels that yeah so okay. that's I where that. i think the future the future, okay okay future is um it's a guess of course all right now <clears throat> one last thing can I say I'm having a transcendent experience as I metabolize that? <laughs> it is. It's transcendent, but okay, it's well, very natural because, well, because it's this simple. Okay. It's this simple, and it doesn't rest on categorical abstractions. That's a okay. big caveat. Okay. So <clears throat> categorical abstractions are useful, but when you take them for real, and then we manipulate them relative to each other because we can do cross-modal synthesis, mm -hmm. we create... We create propositional systems that are not real and they don't lead to the real. The real is a participation with the world through an act of perception. At the highest end, the organ of perception is the mind. This kind of mind, not that kind of mind. Perfect. Now, I can, track, many, I can track that with a high degree of resonance. Yeah, okay. there's many, many, many pure abstractions that children do but it's so instinctually part of our development, they don't even feel, they don't give you that same hit, okay. right? Right. Okay. So and I can go into that in terms of Gopnik's work and stuff, but I won't. Okay. Now, all right. So here's the thing. Here's the intuition. It's an intuition that I've worked on for a long, long time and organized it with these things. Okay. So the ego, 
um, the you know the ego self is um, part of the psyche. I don't want to get into the whole thing. We could talk about it, but it's part of the psyche that is the the simulated egocentric perception. Then yep. it gets all kinds of schemas around it and stuff like that. Okay. Okay, we're there. Um, mm-hmm. I so can, I'd call it the self, my uh, but ego self, whatever we can die. Yeah, because I'm going to talk about the big self. Oh uh, um, well, then that's well, then there's yeah. capital self or whatever. Okay. Ottman's, and, you know, or at least if that's where you're going. On, exactly. Okay. Now, this psychological schematic self is a structure that is culturally conditioned into a person like chinese people i don't know if there's any chinese people like this anymore the whole world is modern but chinese people don't go like this me they don't think they have like a homunculus in there um they have they think they're distributed in cultural systems and stuff like that okay but well, you yeah, but let's not overshoot that. I mean, no, no, a no, Chinese person can be like, I have feelings relative for a long. Right, I have right. feelings relative to other people. So, exactly. Okay, but so that, there are a set of assumptions that Westerners and, and that are deep seated worldview superstructures that are quite different. Correct. And that frames. Let's just say this: that that's all exempted from the egocentric perceptual system. Okay. Fair okay. Enough. Now there is a sense in which. Um, we simulate the self um, and it operates as a categorical abstraction and we think it's real and then the Buddhists can debunk this yeah. or, okay, Great. Uh, the constructed self, blah, blah, blah. Now, <clears throat> what if, what if the self is not a projection of that? What if it's, Introjected because it's a pure abstraction and actually in reality, because we swim in it, we recognize it. The self, okay, so here's, and then, so my whole teaching leads to two things. One is- Are you saying see the self as a pure abstraction? Yes. Okay. We recognize the self, like a pure abstraction is there and not there at the same time. Oh, got it. It's there because it's really in the world. It's a pure abstraction. And I would say the real self is like that. Okay. I say two things. There, and it's a reversal of Western Buddhism. I would argue it's, it's more like real Buddhism, but everybody does that, right? You can, fuck with the translations. I would say that when we are aware that we are aware, what are we aware of? The body as awareness, as a sensory awareness. But I would say when, not this lower egoic construction conditions up, but when we are aware of the aswa, the poor swa that experiences for me, I think we are intuiting a pure abstraction. It's actually the real, a real aspect at all levels of the universe. And now we have what the compound individual is. Mm. It's the self is a transducer of multiple incoming potential states Mm -hmm. transduced to multiple new outgoing potential states and that is a pure abstraction and that's what the self is and that's what i teach
Bam. Oh All right. <laughs> Lovely. Okay. So I think what I, here's no, what I propose. This is great because it's, I go on record as something mm -hmm. else in the atmosphere that. All right. Well, that that, is, okay. I'll tell you what, here's what I propose. Let me yeah. let you write some of that stuff and let me digest this and metabolize it in relationship because I actually, um, my friend, we just posted a blog uh, called Wake Up to the Identity Matrix. Okay. Uh, and it's a, and actually it's one of the top blogs in psychology. It had 36,000 hits in 24 hours. So it's pretty good for me. Wow. Um, good for you. And, uh, and what it is, well, I tell the story of my dad. Okay. It's a fake story. Uh, he did watch the US, United States women's soccer team. And they, of course they lost kind of a brutal game. He all that stuff. Um, and, and he was disappointed for the hour uh, of whatever that had happened. And then I imagine, I said, Hey, um, let's imagine that he got super depressed and then got suicidal in relationship mm -hmm. to this. Okay. And then all I wanted to point to was there's an event in the world that he's perceiving. Okay. So then this is, you have a sensory perceptual orientation right. to pick out a figure and then you identify with that. So then he extends yeah. himself and then he generates meaning in relationship to it. So this is his psyche attaching to this exactly. okay, in the world. And then this becomes his whole world. He loses sight of an allocentric. Exactly. And then correct. he can simulate that he's in the middle of this stuff versus exactly. you're a body in space. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You can exactly. simulate that. Yeah. Exactly. And and then we imagine him sort of waking up and getting perspective. Okay. Yeah. And then we imagine everybody, the wake up to the identity matrix is, you know, people, if you're not aware of this already, you do this all the time. Yeah. Right. Okay. And, and essentially what I would say is I'm starting to point to maybe the user a perspective on the self that allows it to see it as a pure abstraction. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot more to talk about. but No, I but I, I'm just saying I want to yeah. build on that's There's yeah. a bridge here. And like I mentioned, my friend Rob Scott, I think I'm going to be connecting with John. Actually, I'm going to see him for the first time in person. We're both going to France for this response. You've thing. never met John in person? I've never met John in person. Oh, that'll be so lovely, though. That's cute, right? Yeah. Um, so, yes, all I have is, is he more than two dimensions? That's what my map has to say. My map is now going to test, and I will under. I have that as an abstraction. John must be more than just two dimensions. <laughs> you know, when I first met John online, yeah. There was Nathan and there was me in the Zoom, and then John was down there, and Nathan and I were there first, and we were talking, and then John showed up, and I started just watching him because I thought it was a video of John, <laughs> and then I had like, ah! you know, like. Right. So, anyway, it was lovely to see you in person. Yeah. It'd be like, nice to see John in person. Yeah. Um, anyway, John, you know, and it's actually, and I think it was his first respond. He was working some about sort of. Um, uh, the the recursive relevance realization framing of abstractions and yeah. uh, ultimately getting to a point where he sort of he saw it and it dissipated and all of a sudden he was essentially just observing almost yeah uh, that so, sounds kind of similar the, yes I noticed that myself I can't remember how I noticed it but I did remember that and that okay. is part of the conversation. all right so we uh, this is a this is there is a I hesitate to use the word an emerging <laughs> or an unfolding there's an unfolding conversation to be had in relation. All right. right. There's okay. There's a new potential state. There's a new potential state of there's a yin and yang possibility here, I think, between exactly. our systems, Bonnie. Awesome. And so we could get, yeah, right. I'll, I'll write up a little of what I talked about. You write up a yeah. little. We'll post this. You could, okay. Um, yeah, we'll do I'll a post little, it to my, my, uh, my, my I'll kids. send you the link. Um, yeah. And this is, you know, this, this is their first. Great. 
This was a great talk. I have, I have, remember, I invited you on the You Talking with Greg, and, and you know, I don't, we, we didn't do that. And then I'm here. You I'm just had to be at the right, we had to be at the right. Well, you know, Boom. for me, you know, meeting you makes a big difference. I, it, oh. it just did, so. Okay. All right. Well, this is lovely. Uh, thank you so much and super exciting. Um, Bye. All right. Take care.